Vargas London is an award-winning fashion and lifestyle brand based in London, pioneering in high-end modest fashion with a timeless and multicultural twist, as well as a veteran in bespoke rugs. Vargas London recently diversified into interior products for the luxury homes and stylish hotels. The business was founded in humble beginnings in 2000 with custom-made rugs, during the span of 23 years, it has diversified its product range in women clothing, scarves and cushions. The founder, Bardis Chohan, is a graduate from fashion school studying at London College of Fashion and Central St. Martins, working with the iconic Vivian Westwood and a French house in Monte Carlo before starting her business in the year 2000. She expanded her business with her celebrated clothing line in 2011 and since then has been the pioneer in introducing high-end fashion to the modest market. Bardi's story of going against a traditional immigrant story is inspirational. A speech at her college introduced Bardis as a professional motivational speaker. Bardis speaks internationally at global con conferences. The topics range from breaking the glass ceiling, motivational, embracing equity and diversity, sustainability in fashion, how to maintain integrity and your brand ethos in a saturated fashion industry. She is not afraid to be different and chooses not to follow any rules in fashion. Bardis believes that the work should speak for itself and we make our own rules as we go along. Currently, the brand is striving towards creating products which are sustainable and do not pollute our environment and our oceans. It is easier said than done, but the goal is to work with a supply chain that shares the same values and goals. I want to create beautiful, sustainable work of the highest quality, which customers will treasure for life. Um, quoted by Bajish Chohan, CEO. Recently, Bajas was awarded the Fashion Brand of the Year for its unique take on fashion. Thank you so much for um, joining us today. Can you tell us a bit about your background? Um, my background, well, I, I come from um, Pakistan. Uh, that's where my uh, family are from. And uh, my parents, they immigrated to London in 1965. So. Um, I was born in Pakistan because my mum then decided to go back for, for a little while and we got all four um, siblings born in Pakistan and we moved in the 70s um, to London. I was three at that time. So um, my background is a traditional Pakistani immigrant background. Um, it was quite hard for my dad to establish himself in London. My mum was a housewife and um, as a second generation, I kind of experience all the challenges that we faced um you know growing up in the 70s and 80s and it it was hard but i knew that from from the start that i wanted to do something with my life and i've always had this um passion to 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 make a difference um initially my dad wanted me to become a doctor but i chose to go down the creative route and took a gap year and then did my portfolio and applied to London College Fashion. So that's kind of my background. But I didn't realize um, all the fears that my dad had of, you know, coming from not a very privileged background and going into an elite, elitist kind of fashion industry, art industry, 
it, it, it would be difficult. And he told me that it's going to be very glamorous for you and how you're going to actually make it because you have to do a lot of networking. You have to go to events in the evening where they serve alcohol. How are you going to actually find or, you know, work in that kind of environment? But I said to him that, you know, you could choose. You can choose which event you want to go to and which event you don't want to go to. I don't believe that you have to completely abandon your culture to fit into another one. It's all about accepting who you are and then other people will accept you. And that is what I believe in because I, I, I think that the day we were born, we were born to fly. It, it, it's, it's irrelevant that, you know, we're uh, black, we're Asian, we're white, we're Hindu, we're Christians, whatever. But the fact is that we can breathe. We are privileged and it, you know, we were gifted this, this life and it's our job to make sure that we do something with it to, you know, to make an impact. And I hope through my work, I bring people together and, um, you know, I celebrate multiculturalism and diversity through my work. And I, I just see myself as not a designer, but a storyteller. That's how I see myself. Well, it's really lovely to hear, you know, um, quite a unique story um which resonates i think with the immigrant diaspora as well the challenges that you faced how you overcame them and kind of na- navigating between the different cultural no- norms as well so um what interests you about the fashion world and interior design i think it, um coming back to what i've said that we come from a very conservative uh traditional pakistani and muslim background it, i i did have kind of boundaries and the create the creative field gives me uh allows me to be free uh you know where there are no constraints and i can express the way i want to express myself and i think it just feeds into my soul and um celebrates who i am without uh offending anyone you know it, it i just feel that it, it just gives me that space to be totally myself um Obviously, with the fashion, there there is an element of limitations of what I can do and what I can't do. Uh, but there is still a lot of room to manoeuvre and to be creative. Yeah, and thank you for that insight. Actually, it's very um, inspirational to you know hear your firsthand um, experience and perspective. Um, how does Barzis London support and include sustainable fashion in its product line? When I started out, to be honest, I didn't have a clue and I didn't really think about it consciously. But after um, watching and reading a lot about how the fashion industry is playing a really um, impact on the on the climate and where we are in the carbon footprint, I just felt conscious as a designer that I need to do something about it. So for me, I don't believe in mass production, so I don't really um, compete with the high street uh, brands. Uh, Barges London has always been about um, a personal journey for every client. For me, uh, for me, it it's it's it really feels wonderful that one of my clients, after 20 years, come back and he said that Barges, I really want to put the a rug design that you made in year 2000 um, into the will so that I can pass it on to my children. And for me, that's what I call sustainability is the fact that you have this personal emotional connection with the brand and the product that you want to actually pass it down to your generations and keep it with you. So that's my definition of sustainability. 
Well, that's quite nice to hear. And, you know, it sounds like it's a very sort of intimate um, and unique product line where you talk about this emotional connection um, as well as, you know, uh, bespoke um, products that you are designing and creating. Mm. Why do you think sustainability is important in the current era? I think it's quite a buzzword. There's a lot of talk, but not a lot of action. Um, I really feel there's no such thing as a 100% sustainable product. It doesn't exist. We're all striving for it. And sometimes people use it as a tool um, to, to make a lot of noise. Um, but there's nothing um, consistent about it. So for me, it's like I don't say all my products are sustainable. My coasters and placemats, they're made of eucalyptus. Um, they, they are sustainable. I use organic cotton. Some of my leather belts are made of vegan leather. Um, and that, that I think it's okay. I'm making that little bit of a difference. I feel even now we can make sustainable products, but is there really a market out there for us? Because the prices are very hard. Uh, the manufacturing, the production of these products that are sustainable, you're paying sometimes three times more than what you would pay for normal cotton, you're paying organic cotton. So, you know, realistically, um, at the moment, there's still a lot of work to be done to make it sustainable and for consumers to actually buy it because consumers want it, but they can't afford to buy sustainable products. And a lot of activism, especially amongst the youth, but it's just activism. When it comes to actually buying, not a lot do. Absolutely, and I agree with you there. I think um, there's a very important point that you raised there as well in terms of we were looking at the cost. Sometimes sustainability is seen as this sort of elitist concept and it must cost a lot more, uh, mm. which makes it ironically inaccessible to mm. the mainstream consumer. Mm. So I think mm -hmm. this is something that's really um, needs to be widely dis uh, discussed further, um, that sustainability doesn't need to be expensive. It's not something that is just uh, circled out for a few percent. Mm -hmm. It's actually should be something that's available for everybody. Certainly, if you look at the cycle of sustainability in consumer products, you know, when you looked at the high-end chocolate coffee industry, mm. for instance. Um, I remember, especially in London, in mm. the marketing, there's, like you said, it's the buzzword, sustainability is the buzzword, and the price point increases for that. Um, mm. And, you know, and then you get this nice little story at the back that, you know, this is what it's sort of achieving. But the mm. question to kind of really also ponder about is, well, why does the price need to increase with sustainability? Why can it not be something that is... Um, you know, widely available. And like you said, some of it is just said to be activism rather than actually yeah. making an impact. And this is something yeah. that that's a very important discussion to have in the future. Now, you studied at Central St. Martins, which is quite a mm -hmm. prestigious institution to study at. What was your takeaway from being a student at Central St. Martins? I think I, I felt like... um I shouldn't say this, but it's imposter syndrome. I felt that I was in a little bubble and I was the outsider because uh, there were a lot of um, very affluent students there who can afford to go to Liberty London to buy their fabric, you know, 
while I was struggling and doing a part-time job and I was also interning at Vision Westwood and doing my master's. So working seven days a week, literally, um, just to make ends meet, to pay for my master's and also to, to buy those expensive fabrics or whatever I had to. So I felt that I struggled to fit in. Um, at that time, I didn't even wear a hijab, to be honest. That was out of the equation. But I just felt that there was a huge class barrier um, uh, that, that I felt. And, and a lot of people feel that when they enter the art industry as a whole, they feel that there is this class barrier and it feels like you shouldn't be here. Why are you here? Um, and sometimes that still happens in the fashion industry. But I believe that when you're, wa- when you're working or you're in a meeting, um, in a few minutes, your hijab becomes invisible because I really feel that the person who's speaking behind the hijab takes over. So why should I have to compromise in my values and what I believe in just for that two minutes of awkward feeling? And that's how I see it. And that's how I talk to everybody about it, that there's the whole pressure. I can remember PR firm said to me that, Rajesh, you're not going to make it into the fashion industry. You need to take this off. You need to take your hijab off. And um, I said, to be honest, I, 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 my work should stand for it. So if my work is good, I think people will look beyond the hijab and they won't really care. And I feel that me as a person, I'm quite strong and I'm very um, real. And I think that shows through. Uh, I don't believe in putting on a, a mask or anything. You, you, you know, it's either black and white with me. So people can relate to that and the fact that I can be vulnerable and I can express and talk about my failures. And then instantly, I think people have a connection with you when you're not afraid uh, to talk about your flaws, not just your success, but your flaws. And that I do that quite a lot when I'm talking at universities because I feel that everyone is on this mission to be perfect and uh, to be at the top and you're defined by your grades by your university by what you wear what a handbag or what the car you're driving but I think that it's all rubbish you know you should be defined by who you are as a person and you know what impact you're making to this world and that's what people will remember you for absolutely and uh, and I think it's what you talked about would resonate with so many people when you've talked about the imposter syndrome, especially when you're sort of emerging into a field, um, when you've talked about, you know, um, having these feelings of awkwardness and people's perception. And I think it's a very powerful statement that you made. Why for the two minutes or the 90 seconds of perception that you'll have, why do you have to change your identity as a person, whereas your work and your ideas and your voice speaks for itself? Um, and I think this is something, especially for the youth to sort of, um, really listen to and, and gain esteem from, uh, because these are some of the journeying thoughts that we sort of have, um, which I think are universal. I know I certainly can identify with, with those feelings of awkwardness that you sort of touched upon. So thank you so much for being authentic and in sharing that. Um, what inspires you to develop your fashion line? I think people, uh, I really am very much into psychology and I like to get to, to know people at a deeper level. So whoever I meet, whether it's a taxi driver, Uber driver or the cleaner, or whether it's the CEO, I think everyone leaves an impact on me and I kind of absorb their energy and that kind of reflects in whatever I'm doing. So I, 
I really get inspiration from people, from where I travel, who I meet. It could be anything, really. So at the moment, I'm working on a collection which is inspired by Pakistani truck art. So I really like the whole culture and I'm studying it and where it originates from. And, you know, it's really, really um, making me feel like um, very nostalgic when I used to go to Pakistan and I used to see these colorful trucks everywhere. So, um, yeah. So that's what really, um, I love waking up and knowing that today is a new day and with new inspirations. And some days, some days I feel really dull. I don't have any inspiration whatsoever. While other days I'm just kind of beaming with uh, ideas and I don't know, <laughs> I get carried away. Like most creatives do, I'm guessing. That's really lovely to hear that, you know, you're sort of inspired by people um, and then that you see them as people, regardless of the job that they're doing. I think that's really important to remember that whatever strata of the food chain that we're at or whatever position or class that we're at, at the end of the day, we're human, we're people. Um, and that's really important and really, really nice that you mentioned about the Pakistani truck art. Uh, I know with some of the truck arts, they have some very quirky and quaint and often humorous poetry and verses at the back as well. And it yeah. is, it really is an art in itself. It's a cultural phenomenon mm-hmm. um, with the very colourful designs. And I think it's inspired ca- cafes and restaurants mm-hmm. and a whole line of um, products that are inspired by Pakistani truck art. Um, yeah. So that's really interesting. Um, what is your approach to interior design and do you have any particular favourite styles? I'm not uh, a trained interior designer. I kind of design products for interiors and I work with commercial interior designers. So if they want a bespoke wallpaper or a rug or something or cushions, then then I create it. I think interiors is very personal. Um, it's really about who you are and how you want to express yourself in the comfort of your home or, or whether it's a commercial interior, it's a different thing altogether. But I do like... Um, authentic kind of vintage um interiors that are not just looking old um but they have that element of modern with old together so it's that contrast i don't really like this kind of new trend of just being all neutral and boring and gray um i i feel that there should be an element of color and quirkiness um in an interior and also in clothing too because that that just gives you an opportunity to really express your personality. Well, thank you for sharing that insight. And it's really interesting, um, you know, the sort of the various um, product lines that you talked about. I think they all go in together, the details to create the bigger picture of interior designing. And it's nice that you've sort of talked about that, you know, although you don't have formal experience in, in into it, you're kind of experimenting. And I think that sort of adds fresh perspectives to it. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, what does the future hold for you and Barges London? I really want to push the um, philosophical side of the brand uh, because I feel that it, the brand is relatable. Um, it's more, it's, it's soulful. It's more about who you are as a person. Um, I hope through the brand, people can find the true identity. And, and that's what I believe in. Um, I feel making special pieces for special humans, uh, for people, that's really, really important to me. 
with the fashion products, um, the fabrics left over, we make sustainable notebooks from the offcuts of the fabrics. So that's my way of actually um, promoting circular economy so that, you know, those fabrics left over are not thrown away and we can actually utilize them. So I work with a company where we make uh, journals and notebooks from them. I really want to scale the business and tap into possibly the U.S. market. Um, that is that is a huge market in itself. But I feel that my work is very international. And um, uh, I'm really excited about the brand because now my children have grown up. I've got the opportunity to scale. Otherwise, it was like trying to find that work-life balance, working from home and trying to attend to the children who were young at that time. But now they're kind of finding their own wings and their own identity. It's my time to actually scale the business. I've never been in a rush. I believe that a brand takes at least 20 years to establish. And I'm not one of those people who who takes shortcuts. And I feel that if there's any message that I want to tell the youth is that there is no shortcuts in life. You have to go through the grind. You have to go through the process because it's through those failures and through those struggles that you really you know, develop and grow as a person.